Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hune. Our mission is to help you gain your freedom from the exhausting, never-ending corporate rat race. Because time is our most valuable asset. And life's just too short to do work we hate. Thanks for slowing down. All right, welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast today, everybody. My guest here is Dan Bennett. Now, Dan and I uh, met each other through the First Gen Entrepreneurs Group that we're both members in, and um, we've had a, a few conversations, gotten to know each other. We connect on you know many levels, shared values, shared worldviews, and um, you know shared philosophies on business as well. And I, and I just know that his insights are going to be really beneficial for for the listeners here of the Affordable Freedom Show. Um, what Dan's doing right now is he he works with entrepreneurs to help them build their businesses and video is really at the forefront of the services that he provides to uh, to entrepreneurs. So Dan, thanks for coming on, man. Excited to have you today. Yeah, thanks for uh, giving me access to your platform. And I do, I love uh, helping people tell great stories through video and a big part of how I do that is like free strategy calls. So I always view being a a guest on a podcast is almost like an extended version of a free strategy call. So I have a ton of fun doing it and uh, yeah, happy to be here. Excited to talk about the topics we got lined up. So looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. So tell us a little bit about, you know, just your career to this point and how you got to where you are today, where you're working with entrepreneurs. Yeah, for sure. I've uh, been a video pro for over 15 years. I uh, used to do a lot of film and television, uh, worked a lot in the music industry, large corporate fortune 500 type stuff and government contracting uh, which is the most boring video work you can do (laughs) but it pays well and the check's always clear um i'd fly all over the country doing this kind of work and looks kind of sexy on paper the logos look good on my website to this day got some cool stories and met some cool people Uh, but originally i'm from flint michigan and i'd always end up at home just kind of laying in bed with my eyes open staring at the ceiling like i just helped harley davidson make another quarter million dollars like i what is this doing for me and the people that are in my own backyard or across the hall in the office building I was in? And it bothered me so much that it kind of took over my thinking for a period of a couple months. And then one day it just kind of dawned on me. I had over the period of a year came from behind the camera to in front of it as I built my own business and tried to create content and awareness around what I was doing. And I thought, well, if I can do it, because I've been behind the camera for years, I think other people could do it too. I'm not an actor. I'm not trained. I'm not overly extroverted by any means. Um, So if I can do it, maybe other people can. And that's kind of where what's now Video for Entrepreneurs was born from, was this idea of bridging the gap between the big dogs with big budgets who could afford to have me out and the little dogs with little budgets, but great ideas and products and services who couldn't afford my services. So the thought was, okay, if I can help them film themselves, but at a really high quality, I might be able to, as cliche as it sounds, help them level the playing field a little bit. So I struck out to do that, um, got my first client, did uh, Amazon drop ship in of all the gear, went and set it all up in person. This is back in 2017. And um, they just took off. They started making all kinds of videos. They started hosting their own like Zoom show, like all this incredible stuff happened. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I was hoping for. So it empowered them to create great video at a high standard. And then we would just facilitate all the parts uh, that they either couldn't do or didn't want to do, like editing, distribution, posting things, growing a YouTube channel, whatever the case may be. And it left them to be the expert that they were and just make great video content. 
So it's kind of where everything was born from. And to this day, uh, the only thing that's really changed is the narrowing of focus and the fact that um, the pandemic not only expedited video for a lot of people as a necessity, but it also brought a lot of people onto camera. So Zoom calls and all that kind of stuff that we're familiar with nowadays um, weren't happening as much back then. And so uh, I went more remote in 2020 because we kind of had to. And instead of building, you know, small studios in people's home offices and brick and mortar buildings, I drop shipped stuff to them. And then via a video conference call, we would set it up, get everything ready and and turn them loose. So it still works. And it opened up my market to the world because I have clients all over the globe. So it's kind of cool to help people look and sound great who are really already awesome in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I had a lot of the, those hesitancies when I first started kind of experimenting with video, you know, wondering what am I going to sound like on camera? What am I going to talk about? And the more you do it, the more, the more comfortable you get. And yeah, we're, we're at a really interesting time right now. You mentioned how COVID kind of threw it into the forefront and got us more comfortable with being on video. It made me think of like the first time I ever did like a, a chat like this, other than, you know, FaceTime on my phone with friends and family and stuff like that. But it was an interview back in 2018. And the first round of the interview was a, like, a, it wasn't called Zoom at that time. I don't know what they called it, just a video chat. But I remember feeling so awkward and I'm thinking like, how can I get up in front of a group of 30 people and give a presentation and feel comfortable? But this feels so awkward to me. And so I think that's helpful. The fact that, again, COVID pushed us into becoming more comfortable with it. And now as we're seeing more little guys starting businesses and having you know, meaningful stuff to contribute to the world, we're, I think more and more, people, more and more people are starting to realize how valuable video is in terms of just getting your face out there, getting your voice out there, getting people to connect and understand with sort of who you are. So um, I love all of that. And then you and I were talking last time about how it's pretty rare for like a person to not have a lot of content. It's more a matter of getting the content out of them, right? Like if you think of somebody who's been in their career for however long, 10, 15 years, whatever the case may be in corporate, like there's a vast body of knowledge and work in there. They're not necessarily starting from scratch as they might think. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think where that first started to get on my radar is doing a lot of work with, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And uh, fortunate for me, a lot of times I did get to work with executives in those companies, whether it was interviews or voiceovers for different videos they were creating and stuff like that. And I've always been a relationship builder. I'm a metaphor and analogy guy. It's the only way I really know how to learn or teach. So I would just end up, you know, rolling camera and mics before a CEO walked in and uh, start having a conversation. And then we're talking about beagle dogs and hunting and bass fishing and their cabin they got up north and how they work so hard the first three months of the year so they can set themselves up to have that summer vacation with their family or whatever the case may be. And then I would steer the conversation to, uh, you know, work and the things we had to get answered for the video and different topics that were required. And a lot of times they'd be like, Hey, I think we got everything we need. High five. We're done. And they'd be like, wait, what? I didn't even know you were recording, you know, because we tricked them into telling great stories. And that's when I started realizing that yes, a CEO is going to have what I now call a body of work. They're going to have this lifetime of experiences of how they got there. Maybe it was a family business. They've been in it for their whole lives. Maybe it was their fourth time being a CEO at different companies. There's going to be 
you know, a skill set and um, again, a body of work. And so when I started working more with small businesses, uh, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, creators, all these different people making video, I noticed that a ton of them, and I blame this, you know, mostly on gurus and the internet um, who just type in something like, how do I do an online business or how do I get leads online or whatever the case may be, they would start getting information about you have to build a giant audience and then you got to sell that audience stuff. And that's one model, but it's not the only model. So I started bumping into more and more people who are established, they're professionals, they're maybe a little bit older, and they're like, how do I build this newsletter list? And how do I you know, get a bunch of people on YouTube or whatever? And we didn't have to abandon that, but we had to change the conversation to like, listen, I'm thinking another version of this is you have a body of work. So how about we take all the energy that we would spend trying to get 10,000 followers on whatever platform and put it into teasing out that body of work and turning that into really compelling and impactful content. And then the rest of the energy that's left after we do that, we go after the people that care about that stuff. And that's when you start seeing people like some clients of mine who have maybe a thousand subscribers on YouTube, but make tens and tens of thousands of dollars a year off the people that find them there. Because it's not about having a giant audience. It's about getting in front of the right people. And I really think a lot of people overlook their own body of work. Some of that's already created. Maybe you've written, maybe you've filmed yourself before, maybe you've been on other people's podcasts, whatever. But a lot of it is just in you and it just needs to be teased out and then turned into something that's consumable. Um, so I love doing that work because a lot of times when I tell someone what I just told you, their eyes light up and they're like, well, yeah, I've been doing this 25 years. I've been listed in this many articles. I've been interviewed. I've, I got all kinds of stuff. And it's like, cool, let's get that information in front of the right people instead of trying to become the next Mr. Beast. Yeah, that's so important because right there, when you, like you said, their eyes light up and they realize they've got this inside of them. And I feel that way too. It's like it, it increases the level of confidence that you have and the value that you can provide to others, which is a great thing. And that's going to help you be more successful in your business. But it also like takes some of the pressure off of trying to play that hustle game and, you know, posting every day and liking everybody else's stuff and commenting on influencers so that you can grow your network. And like that just gets really exhausting. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately about um, if you're, a, a, you know, an experienced service professional that has a lot of experience in your field, then you got to kind of decide, like, are you going to be a creator or a salesperson? And really, you don't need to be a salesperson. If you've already got the credibility and the experience, your job is just to find the right people and, and tell your story. So I like this idea of just focusing more you know, on quality over quantity. Now, don't get me wrong. I, when I started, I was playing that game and hustling and it's got me to the point where I am now where I have a decent audience and relatively engaged followers and all that kind of stuff. So then I can produce quality content and know that it's probably going to reach the right people. But the faster you can get to that point, I think the better. So I, I really like the approach that you just described there, Dan. Yeah, I, I love it too. And it really helps us implement what is at the core of most of the work that we do, uh, which is story development. A lot of people throw the word story around. It's kind of like been bastardized a bit, which is unfortunate. But I think when people really just take 15, 30 seconds to think about what story, storytelling means, you can get back to the root of it. You can understand why it's important. It's how we communicate. Um, and on top of that, the distribution of story generally is a strategy of some sort. 
And that's where I really feel like uh, entrepreneurs and professionals have a lever to pull. And I could talk for an hour on it and I won't, but it is the biggest deficiency in all of video um, creation for professionals and entrepreneurs is a lack of strategy. I can take almost any pain point I've ever heard, including I hate the sound of my own voice when it's played back to me and I can still, okay, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? I can five why my way down to a lack of strategy almost every time. So it's really at the core of what keeps a lot of people from uh, leveraging video in a really strong way. And I think the way um, that we approach that is fed by this body of work idea. It's you've got it in you. Now, instead of just making videos and putting them out, let's make specific videos for very specific reasons and put them in very specific places so they have a job to do. And the strategy will then take the right person down a path, hopefully to the end goal you desire, which is whatever, signing up for your newsletter, getting on a call with you, buying your services, buying your course, whatever the case may be. And I, I want people to think about that, not to make all this creative stuff boring, but you know, if you have a strategy in place and you pour your body of work into it, I mean, there's not, not many bigger levers you can pull than those two. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about storytelling a little bit because I agree with you. So important. And there's so many people, particularly, I would say like in my industry as a financial advisor, most financial advisors, we suck at selling, telling stories. It's like, we want to talk facts and figures and you know, long-term growth projections and tax rates, all that kind of stuff. But it's like, tell a story that your ideal client is going to resonate with and that's going to spur them into action and not only spur them into action, but like give them the confidence that you can help them with a problem, right? So tell me a little bit more about storytelling and how it's impacted the work that you do and, and how you've seen it benefit your clients as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, Story development's been at the core of everything I've done my whole career. Um, when I did the big corporate work, government contracting work, all that stuff, especially film and television and music videos and the music industry, uh, story is all that matters. Um, you got to have some good footage. You need decent audio. You know, those things matter to the consumer. But like if there's nothing to sink your teeth into, it's just wet bread. Like what good is it, you know? And when people start to you know, receive that story is something that's important to, to think about and try and implement. I think they can get past the fact that it's like, well, I'm not creative. I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a writer, whatever. And they can get to the point where they understand, no, this is just how we communicate. And if we communicate well, we can exchange complex ideas. We can have people buy our products and services. All the things that we desire on the end can come from just spending a little bit more time thinking about storytelling. Um, the little kind of like ongoing joke, especially when I do workshops and stuff, I call it the medicine and the cheese. The vet says, get your dog to take a pill. Dog won't take the pill. You shove it in a piece of cheese. All of a sudden the dog's eating its medicine. The medicine is story. It always has been. It always will be. I didn't make that up. The cheese in my world is video. This is a vehicle that's going to take that story where it needs to go. And most of the time I have to trick and I do it openly and I tell them it's coming. But I have to trick my clients into telling great story because they're focused on the camera, the light, the mic, the platform, the YouTube channel, the LinkedIn, whatever. Those things are important, but they're such a small part of the whole. What we really need to focus on is telling great story and getting it in front of the right people. And one of the ways I love approaching this, and I got a workshop coming up later today uh, where I'm talking about this exact topic. I like to take what could be considered fictional storytelling frameworks 
that are used in film, television, comic books, video games, novels, whatever, and cram like real life into them, your body of work, your knowledge, real life experiences. Heck, going fishing with your grandson and getting a selfie with his first bass, whatever. All of those things can be put in a fictional framework. Uh, so one of my favorites is called The Story Spine, uh, popularized by Disney and Pixar. They didn't invent it. Um, it's just been around a long time, and they use it for a lot of their films. Very straightforward. Once upon a time, and then one day everything changed. And because of that, this happened. Ooh, and because of that, now this happened. Ooh, and then this happened. Until one day there was a resolution. And ever since then, this is what's been going on. If you watch any Pixar film and you put the story spine next to you on a piece of paper, you're going to watch it go through that process. I look at something like the story spine and I think of a company like Spanx. And here's a woman who was sick of her butt not looking good and like, you know, white jeans. So she cut the bottom out of the feet out of some pantyhose so she could have that support. And then she developed her own product around that and started selling it and finally found a buyer, you know, like it goes through that exact process. And uh, they actually have on their wall, if you Google Spanx, they have on their wall kind of her story done in like neon lights. And it's super cool. And if you pay attention to it, it's just the story spine with her story shoved into it. And that's what's awesome about it. So it's a great starting point to go, oh, I've had an experience. Here's a framework that works for some of the biggest production companies in the world. What if I took my little experience and put it in that framework? and then spit it back out and told it to someone. Will we grab onto their attention? Will we hold them till the end? Will they wanna know how this all turns out? And the answer is yes. So I love taking fictional frameworks and, and smooshing real life into them. Yeah, sharing those real life experiences in that story format is is so helpful. I mean, we're all we're all humans, we all experience things. And so odds are, if you went through something, there's gonna be a whole lot of other people who have went through it as well. And so if you can get that story, not only about what your services are, but like what led you to actually create those services, I think that a lot of times gets people even more bought into what you're doing and sort of the brand of your business, you know? 100%. This is where someone right now could hit the rewind button, go to the beginning and listen to me talk about how I serve big companies that didn't fulfill me. I bridged a gap to smaller companies, came up with something that worked for all of that is a story I've told many times that is very purposefully laid out in that succession to get someone to go, huh, I know where this guy's coming from. Yeah. Because that is, it's the biggest hurdle. Anyone can say features, benefits, what we offer. It's got this many bells and whistles. Uh, it's tougher to get someone to want to work with you or buy your thing because they actually, you know, care a little bit about where it came from, what, how it got here, what's their role to play in this thing. Um, and then when you start to develop with that, beyond that, the world opens up to you. So if you quit thinking that this is only for novels, comic books, movies, video games, and you think, no, this is for communication as a whole, you can start looking at things like the character of a story being you or your client or that big upcoming seminar that you're putting yeah. on or your latest product launch. Anyone can be the, the character, the hero, the protagonist of your story. It doesn't have to be... Batman, Superman, whatever. And when you start thinking like that, it's like, oh, well, then what is the story of this upcoming conference that we're putting on and we're selling tickets to? Now you start thinking differently. It's not come, learn, walk away with this new knowledge, high five. It's 
we felt so compelled to put on this event because internally we've implemented these things and it's changed our whole business and we want to share it with the world. All of a sudden, there's a reason for me to want to attend this thing outside of just taking a bunch of notes and doing nothing with it. So you can plug anything into a story framework, at least for a beginning point, a starting point. So you're not looking at a blank page. And a lot of times people surprise themselves of just how creative they actually are. So talking about this, you know, story behind your business, you know, and what it is beyond the services that you offer, it makes me think, and, you know, as cliche as this is, I know this has been something everybody's been talking about for years now, though, but um, start with why the book that Simon Sinek wrote, I read that book, I don't know what it was, seven or eight years ago. And that was a book that had a pretty big impact on me and the way that I, I viewed business. And I just think about if there is a compelling why, a compelling reason that your business exists beyond just making money, well, now you're not just a commodity like all the other businesses out there. That's true differentiation. And you know, either that helps to just separate you from the others out there that are doing similar things, or maybe even take it to the next level and become premium versus those folks. But it's all with good storytelling and having, you know, more of a reason behind your business. Yeah, I used to, uh, when I did a lot more public speaking, which I want to get back to, um, but pre 2020, I did a lot more um, kind of workshoppy and, and small keynote type stuff uh, around, you know, story development. And of course, video is, you know, the the kind of service that we sell, but it was always around storytelling. And I had this little um, analogy I called build a box. And I would tell everyone like whatever size room we were in, I used to be in like a touring rock band. So I could generally tell about how many bodies would fit in a room, you know? So whatever room I was given a talk in, I would say, uh, look around this room, imagine that everyone's a photographer and we're like shoulder to shoulder, like at a rock show. So in this room and I'm making this up, maybe there's room for 250 people. So I'd say, imagine 250 of you and you're all photographers. Wait, it gets worse. You're all wedding photographers. Hold on, it gets worse. You're all wedding photographers who also bolt on video and give little highlight videos as a perk to your package. Okay, now look around. Everyone does exactly what you do. How do you feel? And you could hear the murmurs. Some people are like, oh God, that's oversaturated. There's so many people. Like, how do you even compete? Man, they're all in the same room too. It's not like in the United States. It's like right next to me. I would say, imagine while you're thinking about that over here, there's, there's a snake oil salesman and they're like, come take my course and be a better photographer than anyone else. You get all the wedding work you could hope for, uh, 99 bucks. Here's my course, you know? And then someone over here would be like, you have to really think about like landscape and the rule of thirds and the lighting. And like, you gotta be the best photographer. That's how you really stand out. And these groups would start to form. And while all this was happening, you would hear like a saw sawing through some wood. And then a hammer hitting a couple nails and all these weird like construction sounds. And it's like, what the heck's going on over in that corner, you know? And the murmuring continues. I get a couple chuckles, like people are starting to kind of envision this. And I say, and then all of a sudden when the noise is over, you see someone pop up on a really sturdy one foot by one foot by one foot box that they just built. They're still a wedding photographer. They're still in the same county you live in, but you can see them. You can see them over 250 people, head and shoulders. That's interesting. Now. What if 50 other people are like, hey, they built a box. We need to build a box. And they start building boxes, aka social media posts, whatever. You know, They start doing what you're doing. Uh, cool. You're going to build two more boxes in the time it takes them to build one because you've already done it before. So now you're going to be waist, head, and shoulders above everyone. 
the point of the whole exercise being that a lot of times the clients I would have that were in like a vanilla industry, like real estate agents, financial planners, dentists, whatever, they would think it's oversaturated. The only way to stand out is to either pay for ads or be louder or more obnoxious or whatever. When really, I think when a whole bunch of people do what you do, the best and easiest way to stand out is what you just said. Be different. Tell a great story. In my world, it's work with me to get a better camera, microphone, and lights. So when you go to your calls, you look and sound better than all the other fill in the blanks that are just like you. Build that box. Stand up amongst you know the people in the room with you. And instead of trying to be the loudest or the snake oil or the best, just be different because <laughs> everyone's trying to be the same. And story is, is always the way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And the more, the more comfortable that someone can get with, you know, again, authenticity is a buzzword out there right now. And I keep throwing out all these cliches and buzzwords, but you know, the more that you can get personal about who you are, what you're all about, what you represent, like you're unique. Each person is unique. So if you do that, then by default, you're going to stand out from the crowd. And so I think that's just such good advice yeah. there. So, you know, one of the things we talked about before, Dan, is um, how storytelling, not only does it help when you're creating, you know, content to grow your business, but it also satisfies an internal need that we have as humans. Like you had mentioned how storytelling is right in the middle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's the need to be heard. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I lovingly have arguments with what I call real storytellers in my life, um, authors, people that have to tell story for a living to keep their jobs, stuff like that. Um, we all have hills we'll die on about what the most impactful or most important component of storytelling is. And my hill is relatability. I will die on that hill. I can't see myself ever budging from that being the most important part of storytelling. Um, when that really sunk in for me years ago, I was uh, doing some, some filming for a client who was a keynote at a large conference. Um, I'd work for four or five hours over two days. And then the rest of the time, I just got a press badge. So I'd go to the keynotes, the workshops, the breakout rooms and learn because I was already there and I had access. And someone who, I don't remember the number, but she was like the 10th or 12th uh, woman to ever summit Everest was given a talk. And it was an incredible talk, like really, really ticking all the boxes, educational, entertaining, inspiring, practical. You know, it's just, it's all the things that I try and help my clients aim for nowadays. And she was saying things like, you ever been so cold that it kind of hurts your bones a little bit? And I grew up in Michigan. So like February, getting out and getting gas at the middle of the night is like, oh my God, it hurts. Why do I live here? You know? Uh, another time she talked about an oxygen tank not opening when they were trying to open it. And I was like, man, this could be a real problem. We need this tank pretty soon. Have you ever done something where it just won't go right? And I was thinking about all the times being in a touring band when we would like, the van would break down or our cables would short out in the middle of a song or whatever. And it's like, come on, we got the equipment. It's just not working well. So no matter what she talked about, I was able to relate to it, even though I've never even climbed a hill, let alone a mountain. And I've never been to Everest. I went with her and that's when it really sunk in for me that like, who, if you can tell a good story, you can take someone with you, you can cause relatability, no matter if they've ever been there or they haven't, you know, and that's where, um, I, I put a lot of my, my focus nowadays is how do we create relatability between humans that just goes beyond the thing, the, the product, the service, the whatever, how do I feel like I might know you a little bit because the most powerful part um about like video in the sense of like marketing 
is that someone can watch your videos and then meet you on like a call like we're doing now. And if you are the person you were in those videos, that like no like and trust factor starts to lock in because they're like, oh man, you're just like you are in your videos. In my case, that's my voice is soothing. People find comfort in talking to me. This very scary thing called video seems a little less scary when they work with me. I take advantage of those aspects of my personality because I know that it's part of the work we're doing. And if they see my videos and feel that way, and then they work with me and they continue to feel that way, I've locked that in. And that's just relatability. It's just giving you access to something I know or myself in a way where you can go, hmm, it seems like a human that I want to get to know, I might trust, I want to know more about, I want to jump on their newsletter, whatever the case may be. Uh, so I think that's why it's all important. That middle of Maslow's is love and acceptance, right? It's like, if I can watch what it is that you're talking about, and you can paint a picture and tell a story where I'm like, man, that sounds a lot like me or, ooh, I've been there before. Or like, okay, this is agitating a problem I have. I should probably talk to them about my finances and retirement. You know, you're creating that relatability, which is a form of acceptance in the beginning of trust. So I like to take anything that exists, you know, razors, rules, um, things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, things that have been studied and exist, and a lot of them are even scientifically based and proven, and put story in them <laughs> just to show that we're all humans and these things really do uh, come into play, even if you're just having a coffee with someone or being a guest on a podcast. So you mentioned uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy and the, the middle of the pyramid there, the need to be heard going what I'm hearing you say is both ways. So like what, what I was thinking was it's good for the person who's doing the storytelling, which then is going to help them, I guess, be in the right frame of mind to be successful running their business and to have clarity around the message and who they're serving and all those sorts of things. Um, but you're saying also that the person listening to the story actually feels heard because of the relatability, because what I'm saying is resonating with them. And they're like, yes, yeah, somebody gets me. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. hundred percent. Yeah. I try and take everything that's complex about video, quote unquote, filmmaking, uh, and story and just keep boiling it, just boil and boil and boil and boil. There's always going to be rooms to put room to put flesh, and, you know, like in, in skin and color and, and clothing and whatever on the bones, there's, there's always going to be a way to go further out. But if you don't get to the core of the whole thing, you're building on someone else's story or ideas or whatever. And I think that's what I'm trying to do through like taking things that have already been proven and relating story to them or fitting story inside a framework or whatever the case may be. Uh, because at the core of it, it is, you know, not that. Maslow's is the answer to everything, but I think anyone can look at that pyramid and go, yeah, this kind of makes yeah. sense, you know? Right. Uh, and if you can do that with a framework and it works, um, why not say this is how story relates to this, you know, principle that people already believe in and understand. So I love that you picked that up because, you know, it's a relationship. Even if you do something that's transactional and you sell a widget from a warehouse that no one ever sees you, the widget maker, uh, you still have marketing, you still have advertising, you still uh, have, you know, employees that the public probably knows how you treat them and how you feel about the culture inside your business, a la Amazon and some of the things they do that people hate. Like all of that is story and relatability. 
and can have an impact on the end user. So uh, not to get too like, you know, cliche and, and heady about it, but it's a dance. I mean, it's, it's two people trying to figure out something together. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, I think the closer you can get to boiling that down to its purest essence, um, not only can you have impact, but then you can build back out from that core, whatever it is that, that suits you in your business. Um, it's important. Yeah. Stories, stories just make, help us make sense of things. Um, you know, it's why people have been going to the movies for years and watching Netflix and you know, good stories is, is what helps us to, to make sense. And we enjoy hearing them. Um, one thing I want to go back to is when you were talking about how your demeanor is, is kind of calm, relaxing, and then people come to you because uh, something that normally might be pretty stressful now seems a little bit less stressful, which I think is awesome. That's great self-awareness. Did you like, what was your process like of getting that point to know, like, this is the characteristic or two about me that's going to resonate with my clients. Like, what did that look like for you? Uh, I totally cheated. <laughs> I 100% cheated. Uh, 2020, like many people lost everything. Um, we were a couple weeks into it. I'm selling my favorite grill. I'd only use four or five times out of storage to pay rent and stuff is like, man, I mean, the world changed very quickly. Right. Um, in the middle of all that, I thought it'd be a really good time to just disappear into the Michigan wilderness. Uh, I don't know, to find myself, to find something, to find some answers, to just get away. I don't know. And, uh, my partner Jax, uh, without me knowing she had rented me, um, from a company called Outdoorsy, which is like Airbnb for RVs and campers and stuff. She had rented me this little pop-up trailer and I just went to some state land um, in Michigan next to some land that a, a friend of mine owned that was just open and uh, able to be camped on and went out there and just took a whiteboard, a book, a uh, couple of documentaries downloaded onto an old iPad and, you know, went and I came out with a bunch of uh, micro epiphanies, um, just little things, some that are like duh type moments, but they got to sink in or click before you start actually using them. Some that were actual discoveries. Um, and as I came out, I was like, well, I'm going to make some podcast episodes about this and just tell my story because I'm in the middle of it all. And then I don't remember where I got this idea, but I was like, you know, I'm going to write like my closest people and just let them know what's going on. And it ended up being, I think, 32 people. And these are friends, colleagues, like other entrepreneurs, um, former uh, clients who had become friends over the years, stuff like that, uh, essentially my network. And I, I, I wrote all the ones, one email saying, hey, I, I've lost everything. I'm starting over. I just want you to keep me top of mind. You don't need to refer me to anyone right now, but I just want you to know what's going on. And as I roll out some new stuff, I'll keep you aware of it. You know, like um, you are my people. So I'm just saying, hey, what's going on and letting you know what I'm up to. And I got like 30 responses. It was like, holy crap. You know, like I've sent out plenty of newsletters and gotten like a 20% open rate. So like, <laughs> oh my gosh, everyone listen. And I was getting all these really heartfelt responses. Like, man, it, it really touched me that you just like were so vulnerable and shared what's going on with you to all of us. You know, a lot of us are going, not that they all knew there was 29 other people, but you know, you shared that with me. Um, I respect that. I, you know, if whatever you do next, let me know. It was just all these different, really heartfelt responses. And so I was like, ooh, that was, that was almost everyone. I'm going to write another email. So about a week later, I said, hey, you know, since, um, and this time I let them know, there's a group of you, you all responded. It really lifted me up. It felt good to know that you guys care. Thank you. Um, 
in the spirit of so many people responding and while I have your attention, I thought I'd have a fun little thought experiment. And I'm always doing this kind of stuff. Like I just like telling story. I like getting other people involved. And at this point I had no work to do. So I was just kind of like entertaining myself a little bit too. And I just wrote, imagine this, uh, a newscaster comes up to you and they're like, Hey, do you know Dan Bennett? And you're like, yeah, I actually know that guy. And she's like, all right, cool. Uh, if you had to say what his superpower is, what would you say it is? And it was just a way for me to start getting back into what do I want to offer next? What's the next chapter of business and what I'm going to do? I really need to focus in more than I had before. I was in an accidental, accidental agency model I never liked being in, and that's closed down now. Like, what do I want to do next? And 12 people out of the 30 wrote some form of, I don't know, it's your voice, man. Like when I watch your videos, I feel like I can do it. Or when I was on calls with you, when I used to be your client, you made me feel less stressed about this tech and all the buttons and all the things. And then I saw an end result because of that, like comfort and calm where I was like, whoa, I can do this. It, just all these different versions of the same thing. And I had never heard that in my life. Now I never had anyone say the opposite either of like, your voice is terrible, go away from me or whatever. But I had never heard people say this about me. I was like, man, there's something here. So instead of trying to figure it out, I just rolled with it. So essentially I cheated. I asked the audience, <laughs> what do you think? And they told me that that's the experience that they had had in years previous um, working with me. So I've just held on to it tight ever since. And i not braggadocious or anything. This is very true. There's not a week that goes by that I don't get at least two or three strangers in some capacity, whether it's network calls or a free strategy call or whatever, that say something about my voice and how it makes them feel. It's just, it happens. So I've embraced it wholeheartedly to the point now I talk about it on purpose out loud. So hopefully someone can have a little bit of that relatability we're talking about and say, man, what's my version of Dan's voice? What's that thing I'm always hearing? Or maybe I should write my newsletter list and say, hey, what do you guys think my superpower is? Like it's something in there, I hope inspires other people to find their it's, thing. Yeah, that's such valuable um, insights that you're sharing because it's making me think as we're talking, like I want to reach out to my newsletter subscribers and and get some more information. I mean, that's such common sense, but I think sometimes it gets overlooked because we're so worried about like growing and finding the next client instead of focusing on, like on what's in front of us. You know, that's something I've been thinking about quite a bit as we go into year end. It's like Thanksgiving is next week you know, going to be spending time with the family, then it's going to be December. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to kind of stop on the business development front going into year end and be very intentional about maximizing the experience that my clients and my prospects have when they're engaging with me and actually proactively soliciting feedback, you know, and trying to get more um, clarity on not why I'm valuable because I think I'm valuable, but why do other people think I'm valuable? So I really appreciate you sharing that. Let's, um, you know, we've been talking for a while and we can wrap up here, but I just want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about like entrepreneurship in general, because a lot of the listeners, you know, if they're not already entrepreneurs, maybe they've got that itch, they want to explore it. And the last time we talked Dan, you mentioned about, I think you called it a milk crate story where like your suck story kind of, you know, and I thought we could maybe talk about that and then just entrepreneurship in general, because it can be so rewarding, but it's certainly not easy. Yeah, it's not. I used to, uh, like I said, do a lot more speaking from stage 
And I would always have great conversations afterwards after someone sees you talk and you've impacted them somehow, you know, you have that like after talk. It reminded me a lot of back in the band days, like people come to the merch booth and have a conversation with you or whatever. And I would get a lot of people, especially if I was doing something around like a, a college or like an entrepreneurial um, uh, kind of how like Shark Tank event or just stuff like that, where there was business on the mind and there would be a few more young people than maybe at an average business conference. And I would get all the time, like, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about doing that. You know, what do you think? And I would say, don't. And I would catch heat for it sometimes, you know, because I'm at this thing to hopefully inspire people, educate them, you know, excite them, whatever. But I also will keep it real, right? And I would find that, you know, two to four out of every hundred people I said that to would have this response attitude of like, nah, man, you don't know me. Watch, watch how I pull this off. I'd be like, all right, yeah. And then I would leave that conversation thinking, you're the only one that's got a shot. The only people that got a shot are the four that are like, don't tell me I can't do it, Dan. Watch me because I feel like that's what it takes. I'm sure it's not that hard for everyone, but I feel like a lot of us, it is, why do I do this? You know, like I do this on purpose, right? Like I could just go be a manager of a store that sells tires, right? <laughs> like, nope, I, I want to run a business and help people. And that's my uh, dream and plight at the same time, I guess. So I like to keep it real and it's not to purposely discourage people from doing it. It's to like check, pump the brake, make sure the lines are intact and no one cut them. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And then from there, it's like, well, if you're sure, which all of my clientele and students are already in it. I'm not talking to people who are thinking about getting into business. I'm working with people who already are. So then you can relate, commiserate, find common ground amongst the, the other crazy entrepreneurs in your world. Um, when you get beyond that, then it, then it comes down to like, okay, how are we going to do the best version of this? We can impact the most people we can and still keep our souls intact and feel good when we get up in the morning that we're heading in the direction that's, that's best for us. And of course, delivering a great product or service. Um, yeah. So I was, I was talking with someone who was at a conference here in Fort Worth. I forget her name and I feel bad about it. Um, but she was talking about a milk crate moment and that she had bought a couple um, chocolate like company uh, storefronts where they sell chocolates and candies and all that kind of stuff. And it was a franchise that had failed and she was buying the franchise location and trying to start it back up. And it's at one point in time, she was sitting on a milk crate in the back of the uh, store that had not opened yet and was just like, what am I doing with my life? This is never going to work. I'm never going to make any money. This is terrible. Uh, and just cried. And so when she has people on her podcast, she likes to ask them, what's your milk crate moment? And when she was interviewing me to possibly be on her podcast, she asked me that. I'm like, oh yeah, I know mine. It's 2020, lost everything, disappeared into the woods. That's my milk crate moment. That's when I was like, you know, I came back from that and I was sitting on the couch uh, next to my partner, Jax, and she's an incredibly talented chef and a beast in the culinary world. And she had lost everything as well at the same time, you know, we're sitting on the couch looking at each other and uh, I'll, uh, I'll edit. But I said, essentially, like, we are way too stinking talented to be this broke. It, it makes no sense. We are way too good at what we do. We've been doing it too long for this to be where we're at. We, we, we got to figure something out. And that was my milk crate moment. That was, I got a choice right now. Of course, the pandemic played a role in it. So like, you have to see how long it's going to be before we're allowed to go back in public and stuff like that. But like, aside from that, do I give up? I've been doing this for years. Do I just go get a job? 
oh yeah, I, I got to make a decision here. Is this this important to me? And that lasted about two days of feeling sorry for myself. And then I realized my version of entrepreneurship is I can't not. It's in my DNA. I can't not. I've tried to not. It just doesn't work for me. I wake up every day. I want to run a business. Like that's just, it, it's in there. Um, as much as sometimes I'd like to get it kind of maybe sucked out and just go get a job and be a guy that drinks beer and watches football on Sundays, it just isn't the way that I'm built. Um, so I like talking about it because it can be uncomfortable for people to think about, but then I think if you're in it for the right reasons, it can also be a motivator to do it the best you can, to give that over the top service, to help other people along the way. And then hopefully I am super lucky to be in a position where I get to contribute to articles and be on people's podcasts and put out content that does help people do a better version or a better job at what it is that they're doing as entrepreneurs. And I hope that those difficult milk crate type moments, the, for me, the staring at a lake in the middle of the forest in Michigan going, what am I doing with my life? Um, is worth it. Uh, because you know, people like you and I are willing to talk about it and share. And I won't go into too many details um, unless you want to, but the first time that we spoke and you shared part of your story with me, you had mentioned that I think there was a period of time where you're like, I don't know if I really want to talk about this publicly or not, you know? And then at some point in time, there was a shift of like, now I think people could benefit from knowing this. And it impacted me greatly the first time that we talked. And it's like, that's kind of the essence of that. This is super hard. But man, do we got some cool stories to tell. <laughs> so that's kind of the part that keeps me going yeah. there. And I, I just appreciate your perspective on it and, you know, looking at the like how difficult it was during that period of time and, and how you chose to adopt the right mindset and not use that as sort of a springboard rather than a setback. That's this phrase that I always come back to. Um, because I think a lot of people, they, they hear you know, negative things and maybe they get scared off. But if that's the case, then maybe, you know, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur, right? Like, I, cause when I look at it and I hear the negative stuff and, and the bad moments, and for example, I'll give you, I'll give you an example specifically with a client that I've been working with where he wants to start his own business. And I said, listen, let's assume that you make nothing in the first year, not a dime. And then in year two, you only make 25,000. Then in year three, you only make 50,000. And it's like these very gradual points to where if you get six years in now, okay, you're making $200,000 a year. And then you make that until you retire. And he, when, I, when I first started talking about this with him, he's like, oh my gosh, that's depressing. And that's okay, because that's the way that I would have looked at it as well when I was in his shoes. But now it's like, I look at it and... I think, oh my God, that's super inspiring because if I only got to that low benchmark, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to have a business that's going to be sustainable and eventually I'm going to get to my dream life. So I think just that if you view a negative in a negative or if you can turn it into a positive, maybe that's a good indicator of whether or not you're going to be a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. And it ties all the way back into storytelling. Yeah. There's the always parts story in the you're middle telling yourself. Where situations dire. <laughs> yep. It's, it's like, will the hero die? Will they ever find the thing? Will the princess be saying whatever, like, Oh, another setback. There's a dragon in this part of the woods. Good Lord. All of those things are, you know, from the minds of people who have lived lives. And a lot of those lives were not easy to live. Um, I got one last little story that's so, right on this topic. Um, 
dur during this time of coming back out, uh, interfacing with people, trying to start something back up. I knew I'd have to freelance a little bit to pay bills and I wanted to be really picky about who I was working with. So I was really focused on that. And all throughout this time I was having people, uh, and there was 10 of them I counted cause it, it ticked me off so much while it was happening. Um, people would be like, man, you know, I've known you a long time. You're so resilient. Like you're going to get through this. And then the fifth time, like, man, it's a good thing you're a resilient person, you know, cause like you, you'll get through this. And the 10th time was a friend of mine, a good friend, Rob Bogan. And I was like, Hey man, I'm upset at you right now. Can I talk to you about it? And he's like, yeah, let her rip, you know? And it was in the middle of a very pleasant conversation. And I said, this isn't your fault. It's all on me, but you're the 10th person to say, Oh, thank God you're, you're resilient. I know you're going to pull through this day and you're going to make something incredible out of this. And I'm sick of hearing that. And the accidental kind of poetic line that came out of my mouth, and I've said it a million times ever since, as I tell the story was when does resiliency become stupidity? And maybe you should stay down instead of getting hit by that next right hook. And he was like, that's legit, bro. Like, I can't tell you that that isn't what you should be doing. Like go get a job at a tire store, you know? And we finished the conversation. I, w I, I love the guy. So I was like, thank you for letting me vent a little bit and just get that off my chest. Cause it's been so hard to hear that from everyone. It's almost like when someone passes and everyone around you says, I'm sorry for your loss. It's like, that doesn't help me. It's what you're supposed to say. And you're being loving and kind towards me. But after you hear that for the hundredth time at a funeral, it's like, yeah, sorry for my loss. Like I get it. Um, it had that kind of vibe to it. And I only speak about that because I've lost people and heard that a hundred times. So it's like, oh, that's very similar. Um, and then looking back, I mean, I bet not even six months later, if not sooner, I was thankful for all 10 of them. I'm like, I am so glad every single one of those people reminded me that I came from nothing, dirt poor, broken family, all this stuff. And this is just a temporary setback because in my molecules are resiliency, you know, and I have no choice, but to really come back from this, make it better and, uh, you know, fight back my, my way into it. So that's, that's what comes from these kind of, um, conversations about story is real life, your body of work, your life experiences and relatability with other humans. I love it, Dan. Always enjoy our conversations, my friend. Um, hopefully you can come back on again at some point. Uh, where can people go if they want to find out more information on you and the services that you offer? Uh, Video for Entrepreneurs is the company. So if you put that in just about anywhere, you'll find me. And to make it real easy, I bought the domain uh, URL, danhaslinks.com. It's just a bunch of buttons to all the places I am on the internet. Uh, so if you can remember that danhaslinks.com, you can find me. Well, anywhere. that's easy enough. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Try and keep it easy. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, you take care of yourself and we'll talk again soon. All right. Hey, thanks for having me on. What you're doing is important. So I'm rooting for you. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.